we continue our study into Jesus' amazing Sermon on the Mount, we're now starting chapter 7. Jesus starts off this part of his sermon talking about our relationship with others. Matthew 7, verse 1, is that most often quoted verse, Judge not, that ye be not judged. Now a story is told about a concerned husband who goes to see his family doctor. He says, I think my wife is deaf. She never hears me the first time I say something. In fact, I often have to repeat things over and over again. Well, the doctor replies, go home tonight, stand about 15 feet away from her, and say something. If she doesn't reply, move about five feet closer and say it again. Keep doing that so we get the idea of the severity of her deafness. Sure enough, the husband goes home and does exactly as he's instructed. He stands about 15 feet away from his wife, who's standing in the kitchen chopping some vegetables. Honey, what's for dinner? He gets no response. So he moves about five feet closer and asks again, Honey, what's for dinner? Again, no reply. So he moves five feet closer still, and still no reply. So he gets fed up and he stands right behind her, about an inch away. And he finally asks, Honey, what's for dinner? And she replies, for the fourth time, vegetable stew. <laughs> you see, from his point of view, all the facts and the evidence and his experience seem to point to the fact that his wife was not able to hear him. He made a judgment based on the information that he knew was true. He even went to a professional to get advice on what to do with the information that he had. But the reality was that his information was wrong. It's not that she wasn't hearing him, it's that he wasn't hearing her. He had totally misinterpreted what was really going on. His judgment was wrong. It's a funny story. It's a real story, right? See, we can have the tendency to do the exact same thing. It's so easy to misinterpret what's really going on and come to a faulty conclusion. Today, we're going to talk about judge not. And what does that really mean? So open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 7. And follow along as I read these words from our Lord Jesus Christ, starting at verse 1. Judge not, that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Let's pray together. Father, now we ask very simply that these words, the words of Jesus, the words provided for us by the Holy Spirit, that these words would come alive through your Spirit and would challenge us would convict us, would move us, so that we might become more like 
Jesus Christ, whom we glorify in his name. Amen. Well, as we start to understand this passage, I think it's very important to clarify what judge not, that you be not judged, really means. One commentator wrote, These words may be among the most misunderstood teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. Frequently we hear them cited when, for example, someone comments on the situation and condemns evil. Judge not, someone else will say, seemingly to imply, don't ever say something is wrong. It isn't up to you to judge. We've all probably run into situations where this erroneous application of judge not has been used. You can't tell me I'm doing something wrong with my life because Jesus said, judge not. So is that what Jesus meant? So Jesus wants us to spend all critical thinking skills. So Jesus wants us to make no distinction between what is good and what is evil. So Jesus wants us to regard morality with indifference. So Jesus doesn't want us to discern between truth and error. Everything's relative. Everything's okay. Everything's permissible. Jesus doesn't want us to distinguish between right and wrong because it's wrong to judge. Is that what Jesus is saying here? Well, of course not, right? Why? Why can we be so certain that Jesus is not teaching this moral and ethical relativism? Because of the context. Jesus explains what he means by judge not. It's defined by the context of what he says. In the immediate context, Jesus says there in verse 6, that we must show great skills of discernment so that we don't give to people who act like dogs things that are holy or to people that act like pigs things that are precious. In verse 15 and 16 of chapter 7, Jesus says in the same sermon, Beware of false prophets who come in sheep's clothing and inwardly, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. So how is one way Jesus is telling us to discern between a, a true teacher of God's word and a false teacher of God? is to examine their fruits. It's to examine the truth of the statements and the fruit of their statements. The outcome of their lives and teaching to discern. Just from this immediate context, there could be no doubt that Jesus calls his followers to be discerning. To differentiate between what is good and proper, what is evil and wrong. Jesus is not telling us to put all morality questions in neutral. To stop using our brains and discerning good and evil and that there's no absolute truth. And we could go on and on with example after example. Throughout the Gospels of Jesus' own teaching throughout the New Testament and the commands to the church, throughout the whole Bible, and very easily show what Jesus is saying here is not about suspending our ability or our responsibility to distinguish between right and wrong. The Bible is full of truth, moral, absolute truth, that we all, every human, must acknowledge and be submissive to. Jesus is not saying, as our world likes to apply this verse, that you can never speak critically about someone or something, because if you are, then you're judging them. After all, who are we to judge? That's not what the Bible is teaching. That kind of application of what Jesus is saying here doesn't make biblical sense. Jesus teaches over and over again. The Bible teaches from cover to cover 
There is objective moral truth, and it applies to all people for all time. There is good and there is evil. There is right and there is wrong. There are ten commandments, not the ten suggestions. They actually exist, and they are the actual truth. We must stand firm on the reality that the Bible teaches objective, absolute truth. There is right and wrong, and we will all, every single one of us, be judged according to its truth. So since we're called to be discerning about good and evil, about truth and error, what does he mean then? What does this mean? Remember the context of Jesus' sermon. One of the fundamental things that he's doing throughout this sermon is contrasting what real belief and real godly action is with that of the hypocritical, pharisaical belief. Remember what Jesus said earlier in the sermon in Matthew 5.20, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter into the kingdom of heaven. Then he goes on in his sermon in the rest of chapter 5 to compare and contrast the false teachings of the Pharisees with the true teachings of God's words. In six vivid contrasts there in chapter 5, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, but I say to you, Then in chapter 6, Jesus compares and contrasts the false Pharisees' false righteousness with true acts of righteousness in giving to the poor and in prayer and in fasting. The sermon is full of examples of the importance of true biblical discernment. Now here in chapter 7, Jesus is contrasting true brotherly care with the Pharisees' propensity for judgmentalism. See, their self-righteous, self-standard, self-made religion at its heart was full of self-righteous judgment. They were the hypocrites of hypocrites. They took judgmentalism to a whole new level. Their self-focus, outward focus, self-worship religion was rife with condemnation for all those who did not reach their level of self-righteous standards. So let's turn to... Luke chapter 18, to illustrate this. Jesus himself gives us the illustration in Luke chapter 18, starting at verse 9. He, Jesus, also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes for all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. But beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The Pharisees had 
mastered this art of judgmentalism. See, when you elevate yourself and you elevate your actions and you elevate your self-righteousness as being superior, you then in turn turn around and condemn those who don't meet this false standard. Jesus aborted it. The, the least judgmental person to ever walk the planet Earth was our Lord Jesus Christ. And the most discerning person to ever walk planet Earth was our Lord Jesus Christ. See, what Jesus is condemning here, what Jesus is commanding us not to do is to be judgmental. Look at verse 5 here in our passage. Hopefully this will help clarify it for us. Verse 5 says, You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will be able to clearly take the speck out of your brother's eye. What Jesus is condemning in this verse is, is the hypocrisy of judgmentalism. In his conclusion to his illustration between the person with a speck and the person with a log in their eye, notice he doesn't say, just leave the speck alone in your brother's eye. Notice he doesn't say, say that. He says, no, he says, deal with yourself first. Deal with your own issues first. First deal with your heart of sin. First deal with your heart of judgmentalism. First stand back. Just like the man did, beating his breast and saying, I'm a sinner. After you've rightly humbled yourself before God, then go to your brother and help take the speck out of his eye. The challenge is not to ignore the speck, but to first work on ourselves and then help our brother. Jesus said in Matthew 18:15, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone. Galatians 6.1 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch over yourself, lest you too be tempted. What Jesus is contrasting here is true, humble, godly, brotherly care with a judgmental, self-righteous, I am better than you, I am holier than you attitude. There is no doubt throughout the scripture that we are commanded to discern between good and evil, right and wrong, and truth and error. And there is no doubt throughout the scripture, especially from our Lord Jesus Christ, that he hates judgmentalism. He abhors self-righteous condemnation. It's clear throughout Jesus' teaching that one of the things he loathes the most is distorting the Bible's teaching into a system of self-righteous standards, and then its corollary self-righteous judgmentalism. So let's look at three reasons why from this passage we're not supposed to be judgmental. The first is because God is the judge. Verse 1 is, Judge not that you be not judged by God. See, God is the judge. Verse 2 is, For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged by God. And with the measure that you will measure, be measured to you, By God. God is the judge. One commentator said, Jesus is saying that the judgment of God on our lives will be based on our lives and how our hearts express themselves in thoughts and acts towards others. You see, part of the judgment before God, at the judgment that all believers will face, will not be just how we adhere to God's commandments, but how we lived out God's commands in relationship with one another. Paul says this in Romans 14, 
10 through 12. It says, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. One of the greatest reasons why we need to combat any kind of judgmentalism in our lives, any kind of superficial or self-righteous judgment, is that one day we will stand before God, who sees all things, who knows all things. We have to give account of ourselves to Him. A self-righteous, judgmental attitude sets you up as the judge when you are not the judge. God alone is the judge. It's so important in our rightly discerning between good and evil and truth and error that we don't set ourselves up as the judge. God alone is a lawgiver. God alone is the judge. All of humanity stands equal before God. See, the difference is never us. The difference is always and only Christ. The difference is never our righteousness. The difference is always Christ's righteousness. The difference is never our works. The difference is always Christ's work on the cross. In the final judgment, we will be saved, not because of us, but solely because of Jesus, because of his death in our place, as our substitute for our sins, because of his resurrection from the dead and his salvation that he gives to us by grace through faith. All of humanity stands equal before God. You, me, everyone. The only difference of consequence on that day will be Jesus. Another commentator put it this way. The simple but vital point which Paul is making in these verses is is that man is not God. No human being is qualified to be the judge of his fellow humans. For we cannot read each other's hearts or assess each other's motives. To be censorious, to be judgmental, is to presume arrogantly to anticipate the day of judgment, to usurp the prerogatives of divine judgment, in fact, to try to play God. You see, this is what I think what happens when our world around us says to us Christians, judge not. I think this is what they're saying to us. They're saying to us, stop thinking of yourselves as better than me. Stop thinking of yourselves as higher or holier than me. Stop taking the role of judge that only God has the role. Stop thinking that somehow, by your own actions, you're better than me. Since Christians, we can wrongfully and sinfully sometimes take on an air of self-righteous judgment. The words judge not are in the present imperative. This means that it could be translated as stop judging or stop being judgmental. The challenge for us is, is not just to guard our hearts about judging, but to stop doing what we might already be doing. See, we take information A and we take point X and we take evidence Y, we mix it together, we add our opinion and our own thoughts about someone or something, and then we're shocked when it's wrong. Why? We don't have all the information. 
We don't know. We jump to conclusions. We, we presuppose information. We evaluate motives. And we're wrong. Often we assume some of the worst possible motives for other people's actions. But we expect them to assume the best possible motives of us. One said we have a rosy view of ourselves and a jaundiced view of others. Folks, we are not qualified to judge another person's actions or motives. First, because we so often just don't have enough information. And secondly, we don't know their heart. Judgment is left to God. For God alone has all the information. For God alone can see rightly a person's motives and hearts. We're not Jesus. We're not the Holy Spirit. So when it comes to judging another person, let's leave it where it belongs. Man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. One said to judge not is not a requirement to be blind, but rather a plea to be generous. Jesus does not tell us to cease to be people by suspending our critical powers, but to renounce the presumptuous ambition to be God by setting ourselves up as judge. John Stott wrote, The secret of our relationships with one another in the Christian church, especially when we have our differences, is Jesus Christ as Lord. To despise or stand in judgment on a fellow Christian isn't just a breach of fellowship, it's a denial of the Lordship of Christ. I need to say to myself, who am I that I should cast myself in the role of another Christian's Lord and judge? I must be willing for Jesus Christ to not only be my Lord and my judge, but also my fellow Christian's Lord and judge. I must not interfere with Christ's Lordship over other Christians. Judgment is left for God alone. For only God has all the information, and only God can rightly see our hearts. Another reason we're not supposed to be judgmental is because our brother is our ministry. See, a judgmental attitude separates. Remember the Pharisees there in Luke 18? He's saying there, look at me. Look at how good I am. I'm so glad I'm not like those people. I am better I'm right. I'm God's favorite. You're worse. You're, you're wrong. God likes me more than he likes you. See, judgmentalism leads to these false feelings of superiority and importance. Instead of ministering to the person. Instead of loving the person. Instead of sacrificing. Instead of helping to bear their burdens. A judgmental person stands arm lengths away, reflecting how great it is to not be that person. When the only true and holy one, God the Son, Jesus our Lord, our example, when he interacted in messy situations, did he back away and separate himself from them? Or did he step forward? Did he step forward in service? Did he step forward and love them? Did he step forward and help them? And ultimately, he stepped forward to sacrifice his life for us. See, Jesus uses this vividly absurd illustration to make the point of the hypocrisy of judgmentalism. Verses 3 through 5. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but don't notice the log that's in your own eye? Can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when there's this log in your own eye? 
you hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will clearly be able to take the speck out of your brother's eye. It's a powerful illustration of a judgmental brother evaluating you, judging you for a speck in your eye. All the while they have an eight-foot, two-by-four sticking out of their own eye. It's vivid. It's, it's comical description that powerfully pictures Jesus' message. But see, both persons have a real problem. Both persons' eyes have something in them. One is a speck. The word means a, a piece of straw or twig. Have you ever been moving hay or straw? Get something in your eye? Have you ever been cutting wood and get something in your eye? It's irritating. Sometimes it can even become much more serious than that. And you have to go get help to get somebody to help you get that out of your eye. But the other person has a beam in his eye. It's a plank. It's a support beam of the house. It's really not even just an eight foot two by four. We're talking a huge timber that's used to support the whole house. This piece of lumber can't even fit in your eye. It's the size of your whole head. See, lumber with that large in your eye, you know, you can't even come within an arm's length of helping the guy with the straw in his eye. You can't help him because your eye problem is so much more significant than his. You see, a judgmental attitude, a hypocritical arrogance separates you from your brother. Because you become willfully blind to a gigantic beam that's sticking out of your head. When you wrongly judge someone else, you can't love them, can't serve them, can't do all the things that God's word commands us to do as believers for one another because your judgmentalism is glaringly in the way. But Jesus wants us to help our brothers, to help our sisters, to serve them and to love them and to encourage them in Christ. The only way to do that is to get rid of our own hypocrisy and to start deal honestly with our own issues first, to judge ourselves. One wrote, the purpose of self-judgment is to prepare us to serve others. Christians are obligated to help each other grow in grace. When we do not judge ourselves, we only hurt others, but we also hurt those who we minister to. The Pharisees judge and criticize others to make themselves look good. But Christians should judge themselves to help others look good. There is a difference. That brings us to our last reason to defeat judgmentalism because it makes us a hypocrite. Did you know that the Greek word hypocrite is used only in the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke? It's used some 20 times and only by the same person, Jesus Christ. Jesus uses the word hypocrite 15 times in the Gospel of Matthew. Now, when you study the purpose and the theme of the book of Matthew as a whole, as, as one commentator said, it's quite obvious and widely accepted that Matthew was written to the Jews. As Matthew wrote, he had a Jewish religious audience in mind. He penned his book for religious readers. 
Matthew's trying to tell religious readers that Jesus is the Lord, that he's the Messiah, that he's the Savior of the world, and that Jesus hates hypocritical religious pretension. Jesus uses the word hypocrite four times alone in this Sermon on the Mount. Remember that the word for hypocrite is a Greek word for actor. Hypocrite is someone who's not real. They're acting. They're playing a part. They're not genuine. One wrote a hypocrite originally was a Greek actor who wore a mask that portrayed in an exaggerated way the role that was being dramatized. For obvious reason, the term came to be used of anyone who pretended to be who he was not. Anyone who pretended to be who he was not. The Gospel of Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, has a very clear message, beloved. Jesus hates religious hypocrites. He hates disingenuineness. Acting like some great follower of him, while all the while harboring this attitude of judgmentalism. We must evaluate. We must look in the mirror. We must humble ourselves to the proper place of a servant of Jesus Christ. Let's fight against the tendency towards judgmentalism, towards a holier-than-thou attitude. One said, if we do not honestly face up to our own sins and confess them, we blind ourselves to ourselves. We blind ourselves to ourselves. And then we cannot see clearly enough to help others. The Pharisees saw the sins of other people, but would not look at their own sins. We must look at our sins. We must look at the beams that are coming out of our heads. We must. We have to get serious about our own walk with Christ. We have to be brutally honest about our own sins. Our habitual response to God, to his word, while we're in prayer, must be, you know, God, what are you saying to me? God, how do you want to change me? How can I better glorify Jesus Christ? In a sermon in a sentence, I found this quote from John R. W. Stott. It says, we need to be as critical of ourselves as we often are of others and as generous to others as we always are to ourselves. Psalm 19 ends. We need to say, who can discern his errors? Cleanse me from hidden faults. Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgressions. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock, my redeemer. The prayer of Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous, see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me to the way everlasting. Let's pray. So, Father, we come now before you in the honesty and clarity of these moments where your word has penetrated our hearts, where your spirit has challenged us, but there's not a one of us in here that wants to be a hypocrite. Not a one of us in here that 
that wants to be acting one way and living another way. And Lord, in any way that we might be doing that, we pray that you would challenge us. We pray that we would confess it right now as sin to you. We would be honest. We would be looking at ourselves, looking at the beams coming out of our own head. Lord, change us. Lord, we don't want a spirit of judgmentalism. We don't want it in us. We don't want it in our church. Eradicate it in our midst and instead give us a spirit of acceptance, a spirit of humility, a spirit of love and service, of kindness and good deeds. So we look to you. We surrender all to you. In Jesus' name, amen.